So we are back in the book of Revelation. It was uh, great to hear Adam speak last week. Of course, I w- we weren't here, but we got to hear it online. And man, didn't he do a great job? God really used him. Amen. So I heard that and I thought, I don't need to go back to Enid. But I still wanted to. So I'm, I'm glad to be here. And we're, we're back in uh, Revelation, the seven letters to the seven churches. And if you have your chart or remember it, this is a, the second session section where Jesus says, I, I know your works and I've got some good news for you and I've got some bad news for you. And as the Lord of the church examines the church, he walks among the churches, he says, I see some things that are I really like that are good, and I see some things that are not so good that really need to be worked on. So we're going to divide those up. We'll be looking at the good things that Jesus sees in the church, in those seven churches. And this is instructive for us too. Now, imagine in these days that if if, uh, Jesus wrote a letter to seven churches throughout Oklahoma and told them, here, here are the things that I really like about what you're doing, and here are the things that you need to improve to seven different churches. Wouldn't you like to read their mail? Wouldn't you want to know, what did he say to them? Because what would he say to us? How do, how do we line up with that? Well, it's the same kind of thing, except we're going back 2,000 years to seven real churches, very Uh, churches who are very different from each other, different situations and problems and so forth. And to each of them, he he says what he he sees in them that pleases him and some things that, that don't please him. And so that's instructive for us. We get to see the kinds of things that Jesus counts as important. So those things should then be important to us. So what can we we learn from this ourselves? So, uh, the first part is uh, the good news, and the key word is faithfulness. If we had to summarize all these together, these 12 things, it would be faithfulness is what Jesus is looking for. But there are 12 things that, that he says to these seven churches that we'll talk about today. And the first one is to the church of Ephesus, chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, says, I know your works your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. So a number of good things he says about this church of Ephesus. First of all, I know your, your labor, I know your toil, your your hard work. In fact, this word translated labor means to toil to the point of exhaustion. This is not about occasionally serving in some way. This is about going all out, leaving nothing behind, giving everything in service for the Lord. I know your labor. It's easy for us to to labor a little, to serve for a while, Maybe to fill in as long as we don't get stuck in that position. But that wasn't their mindset. They were willing to fully give themselves all the time. 
And that was commendable. You may wonder, how were they able to do that? Well, there's a, there's a secret to it. And let me begin just with an illustration, and then we'll see how this is reflected in the text. Think back to when, if you were married, back to the time when you first became engaged. Go back in your mind to that time. Now, for some of us, we have to go back pretty far, but you can get there. And remember, remember those heady days, and imagine at this time you're at work and you're, you're, the love of your life calls you on the phone, if they had phones back then for some of you, <laughs> and says, says, I know you're busy, sweetie, but, but could you please pick up my dry cleaning after work today, I, I know it's on the other side of town, and you have another engagement tonight, and, but darling, would you please pick up my dry cleaning for me? And you would say, I would do anything for you. You are the love of my life. And you could hear on the other end, the eyelashes beating. You can't see it, but you can hear, it's like, it's like butterfly wings. And it speaks to your heart. And you, you're willing to do anything for them. Now let's say the next day, a co-worker says, <clears throat> you know, I'm kind of busy tonight. And I, I need to pick up my dry cleaning, but I just don't have a chance. Why don't you go across town and pick it up for me and bring it to work tomorrow? And, I, you know, I'll take care of it. And your reaction is, Why can't you go get your own dry cleaning? Right? There, there's a difference. What makes the difference? It's the relationship. Right? It's the love. It's amore. Right? And so, what is it that compels us to, to service, to joyful service, is the relationship and the love that we have. By the way, for that same couple, you know, back then when, when they said, would you pick up, oh, of course, dear. Does that still hold true today in your marriage? We're having a marriage conference coming up in, uh, in the fall. So just, you know, put that on your radar. Just in case, just in case it's not the same as it was back then. We'll talk about that. Um, but now back to the text. I think that's important to understand because what Jesus is saying here, not only did you labor, but he says at the end of verse 3, you labored for my namesake. That is, you did it for me. That is the key to joyful service. You see, if you are serving or laboring for your own namesake, that's only going to get you so far. And more commendable to, than that, but not enough, is to say, I'm doing this for the church. For the sake of the church, I'm doing this. That's a good thing, but that's not enough either because that's going to wear thin after a while. But the one thing which will keep you in joyful service is to know 
I am doing this for my Lord who loved me and gave himself for me because I love him for his name's sake. So Jesus says, I know your labor and that you labor for my name's sake. It's also the reason for not growing weary. He says, you've done this for my name's sake and have not become weary. You ever get weary in service? Just get tired of it? You have not become weary because you do it for my name's sake. That's the key to joyful service. Secondly, he says, I know your patience or your, your perseverance. They, they had steadfast endurance. Their, their patience was an active patience. In fact, the word translated patience or perseverance here means literally to remain under. To remain under. It's just like a, a weightlifter both proves and improves his strength, not by flexing his muscles, but by remaining under the weight and being able to remain under. It's a proof of his strength. And the proof, proof of our spiritual strength is being able to remain under the burden, whatever burden the Lord has allowed into our life. He says that's true of this church. They persevered. They had that kind of steadfast endurance to remain under number three says i know your righteous conduct says it this way in verse two i know your works your your labor your patience and that you cannot bear with those who are evil you cannot endure or tolerate those who are evil they read they led separated lives both judicially and practically that means that as far as the church body was concerned, they did not allow uh, godlessness in the church or evil in the church. They evidently practiced church discipline. But also practically, they could not bear or tolerate or endure evil. They had nothing to do with it themselves. So they did not allow it into the church to infect the church but they had no dealings with it themselves. You cannot bear with those who are evil. They did not wink at, put up with, tolerate, or ignore evil. He says, number four, I know your pure doctrine. In verse two, he says, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And have found them liars. They say they're apostles, that is, they're sent from God, but it's untrue. They're bringing false doctrine. He says, I, so I know your pure doctrine. You have tested them, and you found them to be liars. And 1 John 4 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So you need to test what they're saying is that line up with Scripture is a biblical. And they were able to do that. They had pure doctrine. It says also in verse 6 about them, But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. 
next week we'll talk about the Nicolaitans and what that's all about. But <clears throat> he doesn't say you hate them, but you hate their deeds. Because the, that um, apostasy of the Nicolaitans led to some uh, really ungodly lifestyles. And so these, the Ephesians were not neutral in these things. They, they studied to see what the Scripture said, and that's what they followed. Their motto was to, to know the truth, believe the truth, follow the truth, and protect or guard the truth. That's what they were known for. And then the next church in verses... Uh, 8 through 10, it's the church of Smyrna. It says in verse uh, 9, I, I know your tribulations, your poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He says, I know that you are spiritually rich. He begins, begins by saying, I know your tribulation and your poverty. As far as this world was concerned, they were in poverty. They lost everything through through years of tribulation, through severe and prolonged persecution. It says, but I, you've lost all this. I know your poverty, but you are rich. You are rich spiritually. You are rich in the things that the world has no idea of. You are rich in the things that the world cannot take away from you. You are rich in those things. In God's estimation. Now look at the contrast of this in chapter 3, verse 17. The, the last of the seven churches, Laodicea, he says of them in chapter 3, 17, that because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Those are opposite kinds of churches. Church in Smyrna was willing to give up all things of earth to gain and keep the prize of the spiritual wealth. So why were they able to do this? What was their mindset? Well, first of all, it's because they belonged to the eternal king. Didn't matter what else happened, nothing was going to change this relationship they had with the eternal king. And he promises, you be faithful even unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Secondly, they had treasures in heaven. The treasure was in the right place. Jesus had said in Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither rust nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
their treasure was in the right place. Their treasure wasn't the things of the earth. Their treasure was the spiritual treasure that they had in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And third, they had the right value system and they lived by it. They were willing to give up what they could not keep to gain what they could not lose. They had the right value system. The things of this earth were fleeting to them, but the things of heaven were precious to them. Number six, verses 12 through 13. This is to the church of Pergamos. And he says, I know your steadfast faith. Look at verse 13 here. He says, I know where you live. I know where you dwell. Where Satan's throne is. Now, uh, Satan can't be everywhere at once. He's not omnipresent like God is. He can only be in one location at a time. And he chose this city for some reason for his throne. Can you imagine living in the city where Satan's throne is? That was their situation. I know where you live, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name. And did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. I know your steadfast faith. Even in the face of severe persecution, they remained faithful. They were steadfast. You hold fast to my name. And it gives a bit of historical background here of uh, the situation. Even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr. Well, from church history, we learned that this guy Antipas was a leader in the church there, Pergamos. And he has a, a strange name. It's uh, anti or anta, which is, means against, like an antichrist, against Christ. His name is anti. Against, and P-A-S, that Greek word means all or everything. Can you imagine? This is his name and his reputation. He is against everything. Maybe you've known people like that. They're they're just against everything. I'm against it. (laughs) But something happened to Antipas. He who had the, this reputation, this name for being against everything became the one who believed in the one person who meant everything to him. Who was everything for him. And Antipas was this leader in the church of Pergamos. He was being forced to renounce the name of Christ. And to do it publicly. And day after day they brought him to the city square. To get him to renounce. And, and he would not. And finally the day came that they said. If you do not renounce the name of Christ today. You are going to die. And he did not renounce. He praised Christ instead. 
And so they took Antipas and put him inside a brazen bull and roasted him alive in front of his followers. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr. So even when they saw that happen and they knew they could be the next one roasted alive, they did not deny his name. That is steadfast faith. Then number seven says, I know your love. This is in verses 18 and 19. It's to the church of Thyatira. And in verse 19, he says, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. So first of all, I know your love. Jesus said, that all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And he's saying to them, I know your love. It's evident. It's one thing to, to think about loving the Lord, to say that you do, but Jesus says it's evident. I know your love. Love is the testimony which speaks the loudest and the clearest. That we belong to God. For God is love. And we are to have faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Because God is love, his people are to have a God-like love toward others. So, are we known as a loving church? I know your progress, he says. The way he says it is that... As for your works, the last are greater than the first. That is, they keep progressing in their ministry to other people. This is real church growth, the the growth in ministry to others. Real church growth is not found in numbers. The way we churches typically count church growth is, what's the attendance, right? And we gauge it by that. It's interesting in all these things that Jesus says about them, all the things he commends, he never mentions the attendance. Things that we focus on. But I know your progress, that your works are even greater now than they were at the beginning. They're increasing in ministry. So, you know, are we increasing in ministry or are we maintaining ministry? Next, he says, I know your service. Not, not just activity, but mutual ministry. In fact, the, the word for service here is the same word from which we get deacon. It's diakonos, which is a, a humble service for the sake of others. I know your humble service for others. That is a mark of a healthy church. Not just the recreation fellowship things that we do, which are great and fun, but the church is meant to be a triage point where wounded people find help and hope and healing. And the mutual 
ministry to other people, reaching out with the love of Christ. He says, I know your faith. Being faithful and having faith go hand in hand. It's not just what we say we believe that matters, but how we live based on what we believe that matters. Are we walking the talk, in other words? The just shall live by faith. So something we should ask ourselves is, are the decisions we make and the actions that we take based on and guided by faith? You see, if we only do what is possible, that is not a faith. God wants to stretch us beyond what we are able to see what He is able to do, to live by faith. We're not to, just in our own personal lives, we are not to walk by sight, but by faith. So is the church, to walk by faith. Number 11, he says, I know your good reputation. This is in chapter 3 to the church of Sardis. I know your good reputation. Of course, the problem is it wasn't true. You have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. And so to the community, they had perhaps this name that this was an alive church, but Jesus saw inside them and knew that they were dead. So it's good to have a good reputation, but we have to ask about our reputation as a church. First of all, is it good? And then, is it true? What is our reputation? And is it good? And is it true? And then finally, I know that you are faithful. Chapter 3, verse 8. This is to the church of Philadelphia, a church for which Jesus has nothing bad to say. He says, I know that you are faithful. See in verse 8. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. For for you have kept my word and not denied my name. You are faithful. The city itself of Philadelphia through the years, changed its name a number of times with whatever was in vogue at the time or whatever power was in place at the time, they just changed their their name to go along with the current social situation. But they never denied Jesus' name in the church. They kept his word and did not deny his name. Um. In fact, this church was the longest standing church from ancient times. This church of Philadelphia lasted hundreds of years after all these other churches went away. In fact, this church lasted for 1,400 years after this. Jesus says, I know you are faithful. You have kept my word and not denied my name. 
And so they were steadfast. And he do, they did this despite what verse 8 says, for you have a little strength. That's the good news about them. They have a little strength. In fact, the word little there is the Greek word micro, like we get from microscope and uh, the small, little. You have a little faith. God's not looking for huge faith. He's looking for the faith to be in Him. It's not how much faith we have. It's who our faith is in. We have faith in Him. When the disciples asked, Lord, increase our faith, He said, if you have the faith the size of a grain of mustard seed. You see, it's not the size of faith. If you have faith, it's where your faith is. You have a little strength, but you have great faith because you have kept my word and not denied my name. God is not looking for our strength. He's not looking for our ability. He's looking for us to recognize our weakness and present ourselves before him to know his strength and our weakness. As Paul said, he found out, for when I am weak, then I am strong in the Lord. So what do we find out about these churches? And what does it say to us? As we just think briefly about these 12 things, how do we line up? If, if Jesus were to write a letter to us, would any of these things apply to us? Or how many of these things would he say about us as well? I know your labor, that you are willing to toil Work to the point of exhaustion because you do it for my name's sake. I, I know your patience, your steadfast endurance. No matter what happens, you remain faithful. I, I know your righteous conduct that you cannot bear those who are evil. You don't put up with evil in the church. I know your steadfast, pure doctrine. That you maintain pure doctrine. That you... Know the truth, believe the truth, follow the truth, and guard the truth. I, I know that you are spiritually rich, that you have the right value system. It's not based on the things of the world, but the things of the Lord. I know that you have a steadfast faith, and even under severe persecution, you would stand firm. Is that true of us? I, I know your love. Your love is evident by the way you live. I know your progress, that you are increasing in ministry to other people. I know your service, that you are, it's a humble service for the sake of others. I know your faith, that you walk by faith as a church. And I know that you are faithful, that you keep my word and you do not deny my name. If Jesus wrote a letter to our church, what would he say? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these things you have written to these churches because they are instructive to us as well. We recognize and acknowledge before you, O oh Lord, we confess that we often look at other measures of success than the ones that you have laid out. 
forgive us for that, Lord, and enable us to see these things in the way that you see them, to love the things that you love, to seek the things that you want for us, to be the kind of people you have designed us to be. Lord, help us to see where we are in all of this, how you view us. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us. We pray for your continued working in this body of believers, in this church, that we would be all that you call us to be, that we'd be faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.